Welcome to Clocking In, Forces of NC Manufacturing. I'm your host, Phil Mintz, Director of the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, otherwise known as NCMEP. My role is to drive outreach to NC manufacturers, build relationships to federal and state leaders, and coordinate efforts to drive profitable manufacturing growth in North Carolina. Throughout my time working closely with manufacturers, I have heard the most quirky, curious, and memorable stories. I wanted to turn these stories into a podcast so that others may hear and be informed and inspired. From humble beginnings to manufacturing titans, from tragedy to triumph, I will be interviewing some of these manufacturers who have made North Carolina manufacturing the powerhouse that it is today. Rigging, geotextiles, tarps, cables, All of these products are designed with the use of industrial threading and yarn, but don't be mistaken, this isn't your grandmother's yarn. Industrial yarn and thread like nylon, polyester, and aramid are known for their strength, reinforcement, breakage, reduction, and production efficiency. On this episode of Clocking In, we're talking to a North Carolina industrial thread manufacturer who has been a titan not only in the industry, but in their community. Established in 1942, Service Thread is a manufacturer based out of Lawrenburg, North Carolina, that designs, develops, and delivers engineered yarns and sewing threads specifically to solve product and processing problems and add value through longer running times or faster processing speeds. Service Thread has been awarded the North Carolina Governor's Award for Workforce Development, Microsoft Award for Customer Service, and North Carolina Department of Labor OSHA Sharp Award. Today, we're clocking in with the voice of Service Thread Manufacturing, CEO Jay Todd. Jay has been a part of Service Thread for 25 years and has formerly held positions of CFO and COO. He graduated from St. Andrews Presbyterian College with a bachelor's in business administration, marketing and management, and also from Elon University with an MBA in management and finance. So, Jay, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. How are things going today? Going great, Phil. Glad to be here. Thank you for asking. Yeah, great. You know, Jay, I'm familiar with St. Andrews College through a summer camp my kids attended when they were younger, and it was great. You know, Lauenburg is uh, certainly a special place. Is that where you're from? Yes. I was actually born in Charlotte, but I've grown up in Lauenburg. My family's from this area from, from way back, so it's uh, definitely Lauenburg through and through, so I'm definitely glad to be here and be able to to have an opportunity in my hometown. It's, it's been really great. So did that happen right after you finished up with your studies? You were able to kind of start, be right back in Lauenburg? No, as, as most people probably who are 20, 21 years old, I had no intention to come back to my <laughs> small rural, rural hometown. I worked for a company called United Technologies Automotive. So we were a uh, 15th largest company in the country. It's an automotive division manufacturing. That's kind of where I learned a little bit about manufacturing on a very large scale, very fortunate uh, to have that opportunity. But then that company wanted uh, me to go to Dearborn, Michigan, and I had an opportunity for closing a plant that we had in South Carolina. And, you know, I, I had a decision to make. I was halfway through uh, a, a master's class with Elon uh, at the time. And, you know, I, I thought about my, my grandparents in their, their late 70s, early 80s. And it kind of made a decision. That was one of the things that led me to say, you know, maybe I should stay here and take advantage of that time that I have. And that's, that's one of the big factors, that and completing my, my education, I was halfway through already. So that would have been difficult 
if I was in uh, Dearborn, Michigan, so ended up coming to Service Thread in 1996. At that time, you know, I went from a company that had a thousand employees in a manufacturing operation to a company that had about 32. It was uh, it was quite an experience. But what was great about it is, while I, I I got a lot of good experience with a large company, I was able to see at this very small manufacturing company how some of the same ideas would work on a smaller scale, and more importantly, it gave me the opportunity to see the direct impact of decisions I might make. So I was excited about that professional opportunity to make a difference for a smaller company versus being just, you know, one very minor cog in a gigantic machine. Yeah, I, I get that. That's for sure. Uh, you know, some time ago, I got connected with you and Service Thread through my time as a quality management systems trainer, if you don't, if you recall, sure. when, you know, even back then, I don't know what size you were then, but it was really fascinating what you were doing there now. But of course, you're really larger now. So just talk about a bit about service thread, what you do there, what you make and how you've been able to grow so successfully. Sure. I mean, I, actually, when I started with the company, our primary product and our focus was on something called bag closing thread or bag packaging thread. Chances are you've experienced a bag of dog food, charcoal, bird seed, anything in a bag that's sewn shut. Well, we've been for quite some time one of the largest makers of that in the country. Back in 1996, we were making that product seven days a week, doing a lot of work in that area. But at the same time, the, uh, the owners of the company at the time had the, the foresight to realize that there are other technologies for packaging items, for example, Cat litter was one of the biggest users of this product. And today, cat litter is all in a plastic container. Uh, there's bags that are glued shut. There are bags that are heat sealed. There's a lot of different options for packaging besides just putting something in a bag and sewing it shut. Uh, they had the foresight back then to start getting into the synthetic multifilament business. This is very much more technical yarn. The best example of that that everyone knows is your garden hose at home or perhaps the hose in your sink. It's used as reinforcement, is generally polyester. So we started buying the equipment and started manufacturing that product. And when I say manufacturing for us, we're converters. So we take a homogenous product that we buy from a spinner. A lot of it comes from overseas now. And then we twist and wind it so it can be used in a lot of different applications. Back in about 2003, we also added some chemical coating of different products. And that's given us a whole new set of markets. So today we're making great strides with wiring cable, fiber optic cables, for example, things like paraerimids, this is what would be Kevlar. Everyone knows about bulletproof vests and ballistics, but what people don't know as much is uh, Kevlar is used and different paraerimid fibers are used in concrete as reinforcement. It's used as a strength member for aerial cables. So this is a very highly technical product. It's a little more difficult to work with, but also is a, is a much more advanced product. So we're able to, over time, move our company from sort of an older commodity-type product that was very much you know, what you think of as textiles, you know, sort of a lengthy spun yarn product, to uh, all the way to more advanced products that we're doing now that is things like technical hose, things like uh, wiring cable customers, some geotextile items, and then engineered sewing threads that are used in, for, by other manufacturers. Yeah, I heard you mention the fact that you import 
a lot of your supplies there. Is that still the case? And how's that going for you these days? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's not something that, that we love doing, but there's not a polyester fiber producer in the country anymore for synthetic multifilament yarn. Uh, one of the biggest users of this kind of product is Tire, for example. Most of the producers of this product are in Korea, China, Vietnam. There's one producer in Mexico of scale, and they do primarily seatbelt yarn. But all of the polyester tire fabric and the polyester raw material and tires, all of it's made in Asia. So we don't really have any options. Uh, we've obviously had, like everyone else, uh, a lot of really interesting issues with that, especially as it relates to first the tariff uh, situation from a couple of years ago. Right. And on the heels of that has been just an uh, unprecedented container shipment cost. So containers generally would be $5,000 or less. Today, they're about $22,000 for a container. Wow. Um, you know, we, different months, depending on what month it could be, we might bring in as many as 30 to 50 containers. You can imagine that's a lot, a big change. And when you factor that into the percentage of the cost of the product itself, that it was going from under a dollar a pound, so now you're talking about just for the freight alone is maybe a 30 or more percent increase uh, in the cost. So that's, we've had Real heavy challenges cost. there. Big challenge, big challenge. A lot of uh, supply chain management, but you know, fortunately we have a, a 110,000 square foot warehouse here and we've always managed a supply chain with suppliers from multiple regions. For example, we have Vietnam, which doesn't have a tariff. We have China, we have Korea, we also have Mexico. So we have a really good partner in Mexico that we use. So we're able to shift from region to region as we need to try to manage that. And we always have three to six months here available and that's by design. Yeah, I, right where you're talking, it reminds me of one of the other plant managers I spoke with uh, about the role of his buyers now. It's just so much more intricate, right? You having to figure out all these different suppliers and structures and things like that he was having to staff up on his buyers because of where we are today yeah at the same time we buy a lot of materials packaging materials uh, we buy a lot of chemicals from uh, u.s suppliers we've seen price increases that have been over 200 percent for different chemicals uh, that we buy one chemical that we use is isopropyl alcohol 99 percent pure and that, you know, with all the hand sanitizer stuff with yeah. COVID, that went, you know, doubled in price overnight. So there have been a lot of different headwinds and a lot of different supply chain management issues. But I'm really proud of our team that we have. They've done a really good job managing and what I think is probably the most stressful and difficult environment. I mean, we talk about it a lot. And what I have to tell people on our team is let's focus on, you know, what we can do and what we can control. And let's really you know, celebrate our successes and then let's just deal with the challenges. It's, it's really, truly that saying a day at a time. And that's, you know, something that you have to, to sort of hold on to when you're in this kind of environment. Many of these issues that we have are, are outside of our ability to control. They're really more, I guess, uh, threats instead of weaknesses of the business.
I, I hear you talking about your the focus of your team. And I remember the last time I spoke with you, you were really talking about some fascinating things you do around workforce development and the things that you do with your staff. And I thought it was really interesting. And I'd like for you to talk a bit about the kind of the way you treat your workforce and some of the things you do that's special in this environment of, you know, having this difficulty of hiring and retaining. And it seems like you guys have figured out a way to, to do a little bit better maybe than some? I, well, we've been really lucky that, you know, we've had a, a lot of opportunity. I think that's one of the things about being a, what I'll call a small to mid-sized company is that, that you have some opportunity that you may not have if you have, you know, 10,000 employees. The cost of all of this stuff can, you know, it scales with uh, the number of employees that you have. One of the things, one of the first things really that we did was offer our employees 100% education assistance to pay for books and tuition for anything from a GED at the very lowest scale to an MBA at the highest uh, level. There's a few little rules that we learned along the way. An employee has to be here for one year to qualify. It has to be a program of study related to our business, which generally is either business administration or one of the related fields or engineering. Those are the two things that really are direct tie-ins to our business as it stands right now. Through that program, we've graduated five people that have been working full-time for us, and they've gone from having either a bachelor's degree or maybe not even an associate's degree all the way to getting their master's degree, that same education that I have, which is awesome you know, to be able to do that. Yeah. The, the key to our program is we don't have a lot of strings on that. We don't say, okay, but in, you have to do that, then stay here and work for us for 10 years, or you have to pay us back. Instead, it's a, we, we're going to invest in the people who want to better themselves. We want to give them the opportunity. But my philosophy and really the greatest joy in my job as CEO of the company, and now I'm one of the majority owners of the company, is the opportunity to help people, to give them some path to become better. I think that that's something that we miss sometimes. And I, I don't take for granted that I had that opportunity growing up. So I realize that maybe everybody doesn't have that opportunity. And I look for ways to do that because the end of that path, there's two things about that. One is you're going to find that probably 90% of the people want to take that path. They don't want to go on that road. And that's okay. But that 10% that do are the kind of people that will help build a team for an organization or a company that can be highly functioning. And you'll get a connection to the company and the mission if you can you know, pair those people, that, that drive they have, if you can pair that and direct that towards what the company needs and it's also what they need, then you have a highly functioning, better chance of having a successful team. It's, it's difficult, it's not easy. Yeah. That's one of the first things that we did, and I'm so happy that we've had, we've been able to make meaningful change in people's lives. They're, they become really good performers for the company. Yeah, and I'm sure that the team members see that investment and they, they wanna stay. And I don't mm -hmm. think you probably don't even have any trouble with that, do you? No, we don't. In fact, we had, we had one who left and came back. So that was kind of cool. But then we've, we've had another guy who, uh, who got his MBA and then he ended up moving he had a family commitment. His mother uh, 
wasn't well and she lived in Virginia or somewhere. And that's fine. It's great. I mean, we're really happy for him. You know, he, he left with, under very good circumstances and to be part of his success. And you know, I still keep up with him today. is just kind of cool. So that's the thing is, you know, to me, it's just doing the right thing. And there's some inherent reward in that. So that's one thing that we did. Then we started looking a few years ago at the issue about student loans. You know, so we always pick up the paper and we see different things. There's always a bunch of politics about all kinds of stuff. But I'm seeing about student loan, the student loan issue, I'm talking to some of our employees. And one of the things that I realize is not just the student loan dollar amount, it's the discipline having to make a payment and do all of this stuff. This is a benefit that we offer to our salaried employees. And we just started it about four or five years ago, I think. We took a guinea pig some young guy out of school with $80,000 in debt or something. So he said, look, after you work here for a year, we will pay your student loan payments. We'll pay them directly to the lending institution every week. And you won't have to worry about that anymore. So we're going to free you of the burden of that up to $400 a month. You don't have to worry about it. You'll be taxed on it. At the end of the year, there's going to be a line on your W-2 that says that you've got this money, but you can concentrate on the other things you need to concentrate on and not worry about having to do that. It's not just the money. It's taking the burden off people. But the other thing that was interesting about our program is we didn't say, but now if you leave, you got to pay it all back. Instead, it's as long as you work here and you sign up, you have to take some effort on, on your part, you know, one of our employees. Uh, but if they want to do that, then we will help them manage that situation. Because the thought for me is a lot of times these people might be young men or women who have, you know, families and children and obligations and trying to juggle all of this stuff and then sure. trying to figure out how to manage money. I've been there. I mean, I've been there myself. I've lived that. So I can understand that. If I can relieve that from somebody as an additional reason to stay here, it's not just the dollar amount. It's very easy to give somebody a $4,800 a year raise, but that is going to have about a two week impact in terms of, wow, it's great, but it's going to kind of fade very quickly. Yeah. This is a reason to stay, not just a reason to be here now. That's right. I didn't tell you all the stuff we do for health for employees. Yeah, you got, yeah, I know you got a good wellness program there too, don't you? Yeah, we're self-funded insurance. And so it's important for us to help, you know, control that. But instead of us making a plan that's not good for employees, we have a really good plan. Instead, we also pay what we just added recently was a 100% payment for continuous glucose monitors. So this is something generally used for diabetics, but my wife and I started doing it uh, in this pandemic is for health monitoring to see what's the impact of eating a sweet potato or white rice or a piece of bread. Because for everybody, this is really important in terms of your glucose regulation. So rather than wait for people to become diabetics, maybe help them not get there because it's easier wow. to mitigate disease than, than uh, treat it after the fact. So we have some employees that, uh, that are diabetic and they generally cost about $28,000 for their insulin on an annualized basis. This costs about $150 a month. You know, when I look at the calculus from that, from just a financial yeah. ratio, it's worth the experiment to try. The positive thing there is if one person uses that information and can lose their dependence on insulin and improve their health outcome, 
yeah. their life is going to be changed. They're going to be a lot happier. They're going to be a lot healthier. Yeah. It's going to be better for them, but, and also better for the country. That's so, right. That's what I look for is kind of that win-win type situation. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so many innovative thoughts there. I mean, it's just uh, great, great insight. There. And I appreciate you for, for sharing that. I mean, I, and I look at your, your leadership team here and I, you know, I see a lot of diversity young and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think you're, you're onto something at a time when, you know, companies are often trying to figure out how to take things away. You are, you guys are really making some investments in your team and, and again, that, you know, at this point in time where people are struggling just to, to have somebody to come in every day, I guess it's nice to know that maybe investment and people really do care about being there at Service Thread. So where's the growth now? Where do you go from here at Service Thread? Are there other big things you're going to jump into and, and change again? Or the market that you're in, just so there's so many more opportunities there. Well, I think there's a lot of opportunity. I think there was a lot of opportunity already, but, you know, one of the the bigger growth areas for us has been the wiring cable market. There's so many impacts with what's happened over the course of the past 18 months uh, with from the work from home, all the COVID impacts. What we're seeing in that area is pretty extreme growth. Of course, the supply chain is a piece of it. The other part of that, though, is the product side. So all the data centers and places and warehouses for Amazon and the stuff that Microsoft does and all these guys, they all use a bunch of this fiber optic cable and all those cables have a product that we make. And, you know, some other people make it too. Mm-hmm. The demand for our customers is, is through the roof. So it's, it's really good. However, at the same time, we're dealing with the same issues that everyone else is with workforce. There've been a lot of headwinds for us. Fortunately, this year, we've added 45 positions this year. But in order to add 45 positions, we hired 198 people. And again, you know, we've, I think, are a a very good place to work. The environment is very good. It's very clean. It's not dangerous. It's not too loud. It's air conditioned. All of our equipment is is very modern and new. Our culture is pretty strong. So what we've been finding is there's a, a group of people in the workforce, generally, for us, are numbers. And this is no judgment. It's just the, the, what it is, 18 to 29 as an age group, that demographic, we have, have trouble hiring and having these people stick. They don't stay very long. The average uh, length of service is about three weeks. There are a number of instances. Uh, the biggest reason that we lose people is they just come to work for two or three weeks and just disappear. And, you know, I, I do think that some of the COVID situation has a whole lot to do with it. It's, it's worse than I've ever seen that there's, you know, different stimulus type incentives that have been needed by an awful lot of people. So don't knock those, but I think there's, it's created an opportunity for some people who might not have, share the values, maybe that we share to take the short-term benefit versus the long-term gain. You know, so for us, you know, our, our, Jobs start, you know, kind of a low end around $13 and they go up to about $26. And this is any of the hourly jobs that I consider a starting point for people. And that's what I try to tell the young people. This is a starting point. This is not an end point. You know, you can't, don't start the job for 13 and think, okay, if I take this job, I'm going to be doing this, you know, 20 years from now. I hope that you're not. You have an opportunity here to start here, put it in perspective. The guy who's our operations manager who runs the manufacturing operation. He started out packing out yarn 
two cones in a box at a time, which is the only job that's uh, less uh, training experience is sweeping the floor. And now what happened? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now he just he just worked and proved proved himself. He's been here for 14 years, and he's you know one of the top performers. He's also somebody who took advantage of some of the employee assistance for education. He's a great story. And there's other people like that. Two of our supervisors on the floor started out as operators and they were lead people. And now they're supervisors. Now they're salary employees with, you know, very, very competitive salaries and they're great supervisors as well. You know, so we have that path. We have the opportunity here, but it's, it's hard for the young people to, to connect them with that. That's been our experience. And we're still working on that and yeah. trying to find ways to reach them. Yeah, well, Jay, I have a couple in that demographic, and I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, yeah. they they they're they're looking far past the work that needs to be done to get there. Is <laughs> yeah. yeah. kind of one way to put it. But. And it doesn't happen fast. I mean, it, you know, I can tell you, it didn't happen fast uh, for me in my my career. Uh, there was an awful lot of of uh, blood, sweat, and tears. Sometimes it feels yeah. like. It got into getting, uh, uh, you know, into the job that I have today and the opportunity that I have. But that's the thing is we do what we can to try to make that path clear for people, make it evident and to be real about that. But it's not it's not for everybody. So you know, if somebody doesn't want to do that and that's I'm OK with that, we would like to find people that are kind of aligned to to see that and want to do that. And it tends to be better for a lot of reasons. Yeah, but clearly you and Service Thread are quite a testimony to the manufacturing industry and, and the efforts you've been putting in to try to develop people around that and give them opportunities. And I mean, I really commend what you've done. And I, it's an exciting message for, for everybody to hear. You know, yeah, let me tell you too, Phil, yeah. that you know, we do business with people all over the country and also export product, you know, not just in the U.S. And one thing that's, uh, that, that I hear is the same issues from people from the West Coast to the East Coast. Oh yeah. This this is not some phenomenon that we have in North Carolina that's unique to us. It's it's an issue that people are struggling with, and it doesn't almost matter what their hourly pay rates are. Uh, we recently lost one of our employees to a company that was offering a starting salary of nineteen fifty an hour for untrained production people, and at the time he was making sixteen fifty an hour here. He just this week has asked if he can come back. And, you know, he, he would take a job for fourteen fifty to come back. So that, the thing that I tell everybody is this is not just, it's not entirely a money problem. There's something else. It's a, you know, motivating people, what people want to do and, and how they value their time now. That we're having some societal changes where, you know, having kids myself, I know that they may not value money the way maybe people in my generation do they may not see money as a measure of success instead they may see different things if that's time yeah. off or correct leisure activities or different things and it's not right or wrong it's just understanding that for us as a management team here what we've come to the realization is you know we're not going to solve these problems you know with traditional methods instead we're going to have to adapt and you know, really think about that and figure out ways to do things differently. For us, it might be more efficiency. Unfortunately for us right now, it's you know, the 65-year-old employees love overtime. So we're working overtime just to get our, our orders out the door right now, and, and many people are. 
but it tends to be with the workers that are 45 years or older. They say, hey, can I work more than 60 hours? <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, I, I don't want you know you to work that much because it's not good for you. you know, right. it, we'll work as much as you want. How much can we work? You know, yeah. and I admire that so much, that work ethic. Yeah. At the same time, I don't want to have people burn out or, you know, work yeah, we're, we're seeing that too, Jay, yeah. you know, there are places that are just really burning their people out that, that yeah. really don't want to do that. It's rough. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really, you know, when you have people that'll come to work every day, you want to try to accommodate them. Sure. You've touched on kind of a couple of really the key things that we're at in CMBP. We're dealing with a lot all the time. Of course, workforce areas is one thing, but also the whole supply chain thing, you know, it's, mm -hmm. You know, it's hard for people to get materials across the board and for various reasons. And so we're really trying to work on things that can help maybe get some of these types of products back in the States at some point that you have to kind of rely on overseas. There's a lot of things that our programs try to work on. And we appreciate you helping us out and giving us advice on some of those things, Jay. And again, we're pleased about the success of Service Thread. Again, I, you, you go way back. I think it was like 2004, I think, when I first met, met Service Thread and you guys uh, way back when. But uh, still going strong, still growing. We're, we're pleased of your success. And so we sure. thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us today. Yeah, and I'll say one more thing. I think right now the, the role of groups like the North Carolina Manufacturers Partnership is even more important because what I've come to the realization, I try to do this within our industry, is to make sure that we're in increasing our relationships and networking opportunities and trying to work together. Because really, at, at this point, we have to kind of band together in North Carolina and, and maybe in the U.S. That's right. Because we're not competing against companies. We're competing against countries. And it, it's, it's really a, it's a challenge. And, you know, somehow we're going to all have to come together, I think, and, and really look for opportunities. And with the dynamics of tariffs and freight costs and that sort of thing, it's possible for us to do a lot more in this country. And I, I'm hopeful that we'll do that. But I can tell you our challenge is not just the capital it takes to bring things back and get the equipment in place, but also the time. So the time and money to do that, that's the real challenge. But, you know, we're doing that anywhere that we can and really looking at our business to see what makes sense for us to do here and what to give to someone else. Yeah. You know, I mean, we have to take a look at what role the government can play in some of that too, is to yeah. help, help with these, these major investments that's really holding up progress in the States. And so it's a lot of conversation around that. And again, we, you know, you may get a phone call from me and to be a part of some of those discussions if it comes that way. And so again, I really appreciate the relationship we've had over the years, Jay, and, and wish you the continued success there. Yeah, thank you very much. It's great to talk to you. Thank you for joining today's Clocking In, Voices of NC Manufacturing. This podcast is brought to you by NC State's College of Engineering, the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, and Industry Expansion Solutions. If you'd like to learn more about the solutions NCMEP offers, go to www.ncmep.org. Want to listen to previous Clocking In podcasts? Go to ncmep.org slash clocking in.